Thank you, Savannah. Well, um, why don't we go the other way in our Bibles for a little while and find ourselves in the Old Testament book of Joshua. Somebody asked this morning, why Joshua? My response was exactly right, Heather. Why not Joshua? Um, No, really, uh, what I like to do is after I've spent a good time in a New Testament book like we have just done in 1 Corinthians, I like to go to the Old Testament, just kind of keep us balanced and kind of give us a flavor of the whole counsel of God's Word. So it's good for us to be in the Old Testament. I love historical narrative, as you know. Uh, So here we go. Uh, Joshua is a great book. By the way, just for information's sake, um, the parallel or companion New Testament book to the Old Testament book of Joshua is Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So Ephesians is the New Testament companion. If you stop and think about it, you see that really makes sense because Joshua is about the people of God taking through warfare what God had given them in the land of Canaan. And the book of Ephesians is about the people of God taking through spiritual warfare what God has given us in Christ. So there really are a lot of parallels between these two books. So, you know, if you have a a Bible reading regimen that you are involved in on a daily basis or if you do a devotion every morning, uh, you may want to remember that. And while we're preaching through Joshua, you may want to keep one of your, one of your fingers or your thumb in uh, the New Testament book of Ephesians and just kind of see some correlations and parallels and comparisons between uh, these two books. So today, let's start in uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Hey, that's a pretty good place to start, isn't it? <laughs> so, so here we go. Uh, verse number 1 of the book of Joshua, here's what the writer says to us. Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am given to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. Uh, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. 
For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For Yahweh your Elohim, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now man, I tell you, just reading that passage, that that just kind of makes you want to stand up and be faithful, don't it? I mean, it really does. It's almost as if the Lord had written this to us yesterday for whatever situation we may find ourselves facing today. So as we look at this from a a 30,000 feet view, you'll notice there are several themes that Joshua is going to address here, and it's probably good for us to point them out before we dive right into this. And probably the biggest theme that we see or the two that we're going to see develop here, let me start with maybe the lesser and move to the greater because that's where I'm going to spend my time. Number one is this idea of being afraid and being fearful. Who among us would say today that we are living the life that God wants us to have to its fullest extent right now? There's nobody that could say that. Uh, I mean, if there's going to be any regret at all in heaven, I'm not saying there is, but if there's going to be any, it's bound to be around something like this. There when you have perfect knowledge and you understand everything that God has done for us in Christ, and when we look back, we're going to regret that we live like bums instead of kings knowing everything that He intended for us to possess, and yet how short we came, and how far off the mark we were. Get this, how low we really settled in relation to how high His plans and ideals were for us. And the bottom line is, what prevents you and I, what keeps the people of God from ascending to where God wants us to live most of the time is this little element of fear. We're afraid. And that's why, you know, there's the repetition of that theme in these first few verses about don't you be afraid. As a matter of fact, you know this, the most often repeated command in all the Bible is what? Do not fear. Fear will keep you living at a low level instead of ascending by faith to where God wants us to be. And by the way, you know those are the two opposites, fear and faith. So the other theme that we see here is, is, is something that really requires some digging out, and that's what we're going to dig out today, and who knows for how much longer. Notice the, the language that's used here in these, uh, in these verses. Matter of fact, the Lord says to Joshua in verse number 2, uh, my, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am, look here, giving them. Giving them. So there's this healthy tension between God giving them the land, but yet they've got to do something in order to possess it. You see that? And boy, we need to understand today that God has given us. The Bible says, man, 
God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. Somebody tell me where that comes from. Ephesians, here we go. You have been given already every spiritual blessing in Christ. But now the question is, do you possess every spiritual blessing in Christ? And the answer is no. We're way off the mark. So you see, here's this blending again, this parallel theme between Ephesians and Joshua. So the tension that we got to keep in mind is God's giving and yet our by faith fighting in order to actually possess it. Do you see that? And man, I want to tell you there's, there's extremes at both ends of that. That's why we've got to have a balance. Because here's some people's mentality. Well, God's going to give it to me, so I'm just going to sit here on this church seat and be a couch potato until God does everything. And it doesn't work very good like that. You know, my question will be, well, tell me how's it going so far? Uh, how much of the blessings of Christ are you possessing by just sitting on the premises waiting for God to deliver the promises? You see, this book is about us actually taking through warfare what God has already declared is ours. And boy, I tell you, Grace Church, if, if we're going to inherit the blessings that God wants us to possess as His people, you're not going to get it just by sitting. You've heard folks say all along that the Christian life is not a playground, but it is a battleground. In order to possess those blessings, it's going to require some effort, going to require some blood, sweat, and tears, going to require some spiritual battles to be fought on our part. So today I want to continue that theme and I want to speak on this subject, taking what God is giving. And the heart of the matter is, are we possessing what God has declared in His Word to be ours? Now, you just stop and think about what is our, our birthright as the children of God. Some of the spiritual blessings that God says is ours that fall within the guidelines of you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Man, that's a whole nother message to preach about all of those spiritual blessings and the ones specifically that the New Testament enumerates are ours as the people of God that so much of the time we live without. So how do we take what God has already declared to be ours is the heart of this book and especially of this passage. So let's look at it and I think this passage breaks down pretty succinctly in two divisions, verses 1 through 5 and then verses 6 through 9. And I think verses 1 through 5 speak to that theme and tell us to actually possess what God is giving, we must hear God's call. You've got to hear God's call. Hey, this is by invitation only. Did you know that? It really is. You just can't rush in and do something if God's not in it and if it's not God's timing. So hearing from God is absolutely essential in order to possess what God says is already yours in Christ. So notice these first five verses are about God speaking and calling Joshua to leadership to lead the people of Israel to possess what God says, I'm giving to you. I'm giving it to you. 
All you got to do is go take it. It's yours. It's ripe for the picking. Just get up and go get it. Are we going to be fearful or are we going to be faithful? So check it out what it is that the Bible says about God's call and about divine speech. I think there are several things. I mean, I, there's so many of them in this passage, I just had to decide which ones I wanted to talk about today. But to actually possess what God is giving, we must hear God's call and God speaks to our predicament. I mean, look what it is that, that, that God said in verse number 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now there's a predicament, is it not? I mean, we're talking about the great leader, the lawgiver of Israel, who had delivered the people of God from bondage in Egypt, had been with them through their good and bad and ugly, lived with them in their 40 years of wilderness wandering, gets them up to the threshold of the promised land and dies. Now they're in a predicament. What are we going to do? Everything that God's been doing for the past 40 years seems to have ended in a funeral of Moses. But listen, just because Moses is dead don't mean God is. Huh? They were in a predicament. And God speaks to their specific predicament. Now, can we just stop right there a minute and have us a little party? Because that's what God does. You see, this is, this is really contextualization. God speaks to where you are today to relevant issues that you are facing. That's what God does. That's part of the supernatural element in preaching God's Word. Hey, have you ever been to church and you felt like, oh my God, the pastor's been reading my mail this week. He must have been listening to some of my phone calls. I promise you, I don't do that. I don't study you, I study this. And here's what happens when you come to church and when you're hungry and you're seeking. God takes whatever passage we are in, whether it's Joshua or 1 Corinthians, and He tailors that. He has a word for you and He speaks directly to your predicament. And boy, I don't know about you guys, but I have a way of, of getting myself in predicaments all the time, huh? I mean, I just, I mean, here's my address 100 Predicament Avenue. That's my address. I'm always in. A predicament. But listen, God always has a word for your predicament. That's all there is to it. Now, here's what I find is, is the issue. So many times, man, uh, it seems that preaching is about something that doesn't apply to anybody. Seems like preaching is about answering questions that nobody's asking. And you see, that's not what preaching is. Preaching is taking God's Word and contextualizing it and allowing the Spirit of God to speak to people where they are in their predicament and chart a course from them to get to predicament to prosperity. Have you noticed how many times he said, if you do this, then you'll be successful and you'll be prosperous? Have you noticed that? And man, that's what God's wanting to do with us today. He's wanting to take you from your predicament and put you on the pathway towards prosperity spiritually. Check out number next. Not only does God speak to our predicament. Man, God's just a master at doing that, isn't He? Hey, here's what I want folk to know. And boy, I'm glad Grace understands this. But I want to tell you, and Brother Ken, you, you can testify to this. Uh, you can uh, attest to it. I, I, I preach in a lot of places and God's gotten people's business and they didn't thank God for it. They blamed me for it. You know what I mean? 
I mean, people thought I was preaching to their particular sin or, or whatever issue they were going through. I don't even know your name. How can I do that? And if I could do that, you ought to be scared of me. Woo-woo-woo-woo. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> you're assigning to me powers that I don't have. Look, anytime you get under the preaching of God's Word, He's going to get in your business and He's going to speak to stuff that you and only you and Him know about. That's just the way it works. All right. Got to hear God's call if we're going to possess what God's given. When God calls, He speaks to our predicament. And number two, this just struck me over the head this week. God speaks from our perspective. From our perspective. And and here's the beauty of, of what God does. God condescends to our level, and He almost puts Himself in our predicament, sees it like we see it, and talks to us about it. I mean, look what He said in verse number two. He said, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now does that strike you as peculiar? Because who's saying that? God is saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Let me ask you a question. From God's perspective, was Moses dead? No, absolutely not. Where was Moses? Moses right here. (laughs) He's right here with me. I mean, we know that. Moses was... In the presence of God. We see that in several New Testament passages. So no, from God's perspective, Moses is not dead. Moses is more alive than he's ever been. But here's the beauty of what God does. God always speaks as if he himself was in the predicament with us. And you see, that's what the incarnation was all about. It's about Jesus coming down and getting in our predicament with us everything short of sin. And that's why spiritual giants have said things like this, that the Bible is nothing more than than divine God babble. It's baby talk. Because here's what God has to do to speak to us. You know how it is when you go and pick up a, a, a baby? You know how it is you talk to them? Do you say, well, hello, baby. I was just considering the existential implications of your reality. No, you don't say that. You put on this baby voice, don't you? Hey there. Hey there, you cute little thing. You know, we do all that kind of stuff, don't we? I don't do it. You can tell that was fake on my part, right? I'm not a natural at that. Matter, you give me a baby and son, you will see somebody look uncomfortable. Ooh! Yeah, I'm very uncomfortable. I, I, I'll, do it. I'll speak on the floor to U.S. Senate, but do not send me to the children's department. <laughs> they just intimidate the heck out of me. That's all there is to it. But you know what I'm talking about. And you see, that's what God does to talk to us. He gets down on our level, speaks as if He were in our predicament, speaks from our perspective in a way that we understand it. My goodness. Hey, one day we'll be sitting in His presence and He can speak to us like He really is, huh? But boy, this side of glory, He's got to condescend. He's got to come a long way before this old boy understands it. Woo! I mean, just stop and think about how deep and how rich and how exalted God is. If He didn't condescend to our level and speak from our perspective, we wouldn't understand a thing He said, Dr. John. It'd be like the time I was in the Ph.D. seminar. And we had Dr. Alistair McGrath there. And we were supposed to interact with him. And he talked about something that I still don't understand today. 
And one of my friends was in there with me. He said, did you understand any of that? I said, not a bit of it. He said, tell you what, let's just sit here and nod every now and then like we know what he's talking about. I said, all right. <laughs> I bet it's like it was if God spoke to us on his level. He's got to come down to where we are, Jamie. All right, notice we got to hear God's call if we're going to possess what it is that God is giving us. God speaks to our predicament. God speaks from our perspective. And next, God identifies our problem. He identifies our problem. Check this out. Here's the problem with what God was saying. And God, God knows that. He knows what you're going to see. And it's almost as if He speaks preemptively towards that. It's kind of like, it's kind of like you know, when you've been working with Baptists for 30 or 40 years, you know, how, you know what they're going to say before they say it, don't you, Brother Kent? <laughs> you just do. And God knows what we're going to say. He knows what our objections are going to be before we ever raise them. So notice, He identifies the problem here. Look what He says. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, cross this Jordan. Where were they? they were, they've been right there camped on the banks of that Jordan River. And God says, here's your problem, right? You're going to cross this Jordan. Not the Jordan that's going to be there in six months. Not the other river that's named Jordan that's 2,000 miles east of here. You're going to cross this Jordan. What was the problem with while they were about to cross it. Joshua chapter 3, you're going to see that baby was in flood stage. It was overspilling into all the plains and it was rushing, had white foam going down it, probably logs floating down it. And God says, you're going you're to cross this Jordan. You know, that's normally where we bail out because here's what God says to us. When God speaks to us, when God gets down in our predicament with us and He speaks from our perspective... What he tells us to do is normally something that we can't do on our own. Is that right? And here's what you see. You see that Jordan River. God, there's no way I can do that. And we sit right there on the bank of that Jordan River while the blessings are on the other side. And we never take possession of them. He says, nope, it's this river. You're going to cross it. So when God speaks, He identifies our problem. Notice what else He identifies in verse 2. God chooses our partners. You know, you can't do this by yourself. Did you know it? Hey, that's the reason why God gave you the church. Because let me just say, uncategorically, no matter what the popular opinion today is about I can be just right with God but have nothing to do with the church, Friend, you will live as a spiritual pauper because you cannot inherit nor possess what God's given by yourself. Amen. And that's what the church is about. God chooses our partners. Look what He says in, in verse number 2. He says, you and all this people. You see, again, He's being very specific. Just like He said, this Jordan, He's saying you and all of this people. So, Joshua, who is going to help you? Who's going to be your life partners, your partners in ministry to help possess what it is that I have already given you? Well, it's all of this people. Now, boy, if that's not a picture of the church, I don't know what it is. Hey, you know, here's the thing about Grace Church. I was talking to somebody about, about Grace Church just this week. And they were asking me about it, and I said, you know, here, here's, let me just say this about Grace Church. God is bringing together 
the most unlikely group of people from all walks of life I think that I've ever seen in order to accomplish His purpose. Do you know why you're here? Because God chose you to be a partner in this mission. Hey, you're here because we are linked together spiritually. None of us, if you would have asked any of us 10 years ago where we would be 10 years from now, there's not a person in this room that would have said, I'd be in Bonifay, Florida at a new church called Grace Church. You wouldn't have done it. You had no clue. But God has put us together because God has chose our ministry partners. And He says, I've got this purpose for you. I've got something I want to give you. And I want you to possess the promise and inherit the blessing. But you can't do it alone. So I'm going to assemble a group of people and y'all are going to do it together. So look at that person sitting on your left and on your right. And you know, you should just say, hey partner, I didn't choose you, but God did. And we got to figure out a way to make this thing work. Because <laughs> there's, great, there's great prosperity ahead of us. And we're partners in this mission. And we got to make it happen. Now just stop and think about that. Everybody that God brings to grace from today forward, God's got a reason for it. God's chosen them to be ministry partners, to, to, to have their hands on the oars of this ship, to have their feet on the pedals of this multi-seated bicycle, to help us inherit what it is that God's given us. And look here, every time God sends us another ministry partner, we're that much closer to inheriting the land that God's given us. That's all there is to it. Check out what else... The Lord says when He speaks. Man, I about had a fit over this next one. Check this out. Not only does God choose our partners, but God assigns our portion. Have you ever stopped thinking about that? Now yeah, He's calling all the people of God to do this collectively. But there's something in it for you particularly. Now notice what it is that, that, that the Bible says here in verse number 2. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise... Cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am given to them. Now you know what's interesting to me? Seems if I would have been calling a leader to do something for me, I would have said it like this. Now arise, you get across Jordan, and you take the land which I am given to you. You got it. But he didn't say that. He said, you get at this task in order that they can get the land I'm giving to them. And here's the beauty of it. Joshua was one of them. And there's no way that Joshua could have what God had for him particularly unless he helped all the people of God get what God had for them particularly. Hey, can I say this to you? You will never experience the abundant life in Christ until you start helping somebody else experience it. Hey, it's our privilege and responsibility to help everybody inherit the promises that God's given them. And you see, that's just as New Testament as I have ever seen it. As a matter of fact, let me take you back to that passage that we read this morning uh, 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 up front in our service. Look with me in Acts chapter number 20. I want you to see this. Acts chapter... Number 20 verses, um, 
Aaron, what did you read? 31 and 32. Yes, it's 31 and 32. Now wait, guess where Paul is? Guess who he's speaking to? You're right, Ben Wilson. He's speaking to the Ephesians again. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. Now look what it is that Paul said to them in verse number 32. Now I commend you to God and the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. See what he just said? Where's your inheritance? It's in the middle of all of those, among all of those who are sanctified. Hey, you can't have your inheritance if they don't have theirs. If you're not helping them get into the land, then you'll never have your spot of ground personally in it. Hey, here it is. We can't experience the fullness of God in Christ if we're not helping somebody else experience it. That's discipleship, ladies and gentlemen. You see, that's why grace wants to invest in other people. That's why that's one of our core values, to invest. Because we can't be who God wants us to be to the fullest extent until you are being who you can be to the fullest extent. We are a family and one can't high on hog and the other one eat potted meat and crackers. Just doesn't work good that way. We're a family. And we can't have our individual portion if the whole family doesn't have their collective portion. Interesting stuff here. Check out what else God says when He calls. Not only does He assign our portion, but God honors His promise. Look at verse number 3. Every place on which, your soul, on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you. Look at the, You see this? Here's the tension again. I have already given it to you. The title deed is in your name. But here's what you got to do. You got to by faith go in and fight for it. And it's yours. But notice what he says. Check out, check out the rest of this verse. Is God doing this for the moment, making it up, flying by the seat of his pants? Absolutely not. I've given it to you just as I spoke to Moses. Just as he, and he says later in his just as I promised to their forefathers. Hey, Moses might be dead, but the promises of God are still going to be fulfilled, right? And that's just the way he is. If God said it, it's going to happen. Just look out. Because God always keeps his promises. Man, promises like this for Paul said, for I'm confident, confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, in y'all, collectively, is going to complete it until Jesus comes. That's what He's going to do. God's going to keep His promises. So grace, He's going to keep working on us. He's going to keep knocking the rusty spots off. He's going to keep filing the warts down. He's going to do whatever He's got to do to make us glorious people that He has sworn by Himself that He's going to make us. So we can do this one or two ways. We can do it the easy way by faith. We can do it kicking and screaming, but by golly, it's going to get done one way or another, right? Notice what else this says about this promise in verse 4, 5, and 6. Here's the promise. Here's the heart of the promise. God honors His promise. And then verse number 4, here's what He honors His promise to do. Check this out. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, 
even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. Here's what God promises, number one. To give you a huge place. A huge, sprawling place. Hey, here's God's plan for your life. To give you a great assignment in the kingdom of God. So that you can be a kingdom player, a mover and a shaker, a person of influence, helping other folk move into the promised land and inherit their blessings. God promised a huge place. Now, in order to, to see what God promised them here, you got to go to the maps in the back of your Bible. And you got to look and find those boundaries. Find out where the river Euphrates is. Find out where that northern boundary is that he talks about Lebanon. Look at the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea. Son, that's a huge place. Get this. Israel never possessed it. Never possessed it. The closest they came was in the golden era under the reign of King David. And they still fell short under a man after my own heart. God says they still fell short. Now just stop and think about the implications of it. Pastor Richie, does it really matter if I'm all God wants me to be in this life? Can't I be a sorry, deadbeat, couch potato believer and sit on my honey for 80 years until I go home to be a glory? Does that matter? Well, son, does it matter to us that Israel never inherited what God said was theirs? Think of the implications. Look at those boundaries. Friend, do you understand if they would have inherited what God said was theirs, there would never have been an Iraq war. Because there never would have been an Iraq. It would have been Israel. There never would be fighting in Syria and Lebanon and Jordan because it would not be there. You know why? Because it would be under the flag of the sovereign state of Israel. That's why. But because Israel never possessed their land, look at the terrorist organizations and the false religions that have proliferated and ended up in the lap of you and me today. Does it matter if I never possess what God's given me? Stop it on pause right there. And in a hundred years, ask your grandchildren. Scary thought, isn't it? God promises to give us a huge place. But here's the mentality of most believers. All I want is a little bitty cabin on the backside of glory somewhere. Bless your stupid head. Huh? That's not humility, that's ignorance. That's consigning your grandchildren to... Whatever this world wants to do to them. Huh? That's giving target free reign to influence your babies. Huh? We can't point our finger at anybody else. We got to point our finger right here. Hey, have I possessed what God said is mine? And if not, no wonder they're so confused they want to have sexual reassignment surgery. Huh? I mean, when the people of God live in the fullness of the blessing of God, that's what people want. But when we live like paupers, folks start living like paupers. I remember Jerry Vine said one time, he said, 
You teach kids that they are a product of evolution and they descended from monkeys, they'll start acting like a bunch of animals. He said, but if you teach them they are a product of God, created by God in His own image, they'll rise to that level. So what is it that we're doing? We've got to possess what it is that God's given us. If not, hey, and by the way, hey, it's not just on us. You know why we're in the predicament we're in right now in the good old United States of America? Because our moms and dad didn't possess what God given them. We wouldn't be fighting some of these silly battles that we're fighting today had prior generations just took God and His Word and been men and women of faith and lived by the book and possessed what God had given them. I'd kind of preach and get you run off. (laughs) One of my mentors said, son, you preach the book. He said, and they're going to want to run you off one day. But he said, just do this. When they want to run you off, just get get far enough out in front of them where they can't get you and act like it's a parade. (laughs) There might be a parade going up Waukesha one week. (laughs) And I'll be the drum majorette. Oh, well. (laughs) Notice what God had promised. God promised in verse 4 to give them a huge place. You check that out and you think through the implications of them not doing it. As you look through your Bible maps and you compare that map of the ancient world of the patriarchs to the map that we have today. Woo! Maybe we wouldn't be facing a $31 trillion national debt for supporting foreign wars. I got to pull myself away from this. It's just too good. And I got to get to this next one. Notice what else God promised. God promised to give them a huge place, and God promised to give them great power. Look in verse number five. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. And when God gives you a promise, look what you cannot do you cannot fail, and you will not be forsaken. I didn't have room to put that on our sheet. I'd ran out of space before I ran out of sermon. So you can just write them in yourself. But God says nobody's going to be able to stop you basically. You know why? Because it's not our power. It's His power. When you're doing what God says you ought to do, God takes care of the stuff. God fights the battles. It's Him that, I mean, after all, they needed a few more hours in daylight one day to mop up some of those opponents that they were trying to wipe up. And Joshua said, God, we need a little extra time here. What can you do for us? And God just said, tell you what, son, hold up where you are right there for a little while. My boy's got a little something to do. So he just put the earth on pause. They mopped it up, and he hit the play button again, and it's been playing ever since. (laughs) Joshua couldn't do that. God can. God promises to give us great power. Hey, we'll never see God's power displayed as long as we're living in fear on the other side of the Jordan because, God, I can't cross that. We're going to see how God, by faith, and they acted in faith what God did to that little problem. Check out number next. God promises to give a huge place. God promises to give great power. But more than anything else, God promises to give His presence. Look in verse number 5. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. Wow. (laughs) See, here's the thing. 
God hadn't called us to do something, said, y'all, y'all go make brick without straw. God says, I'm going to be right here with you. We're going to make brick together. Because <laughs> I am going to be with you. Man, what a promise. I got to hurry because I'm getting down low on time here. Still got some sermon to go. Taking what God's given to actually possess what God says is ours, we must hear God's call. Number two, to actually possess what God has given, we must heed God's commands. Now look at verses 6 through 9, because here's where he gives them some commands, and he says, if you do this, then this will happen. So notice what it is he says in in verse number 6. The first thing he tells them is be strong. Write it like this. Write, be confident. Be confident. Because really it doesn't have a whole lot to do with your strength. Remember what he told that church in in Revelation chapter 3? He said, you have little strength. You have little power. So I'm going to set before you an open door. You see, here's the nature of being strong spiritually. It's a thing of faith. You know, faith is totally me resting, being confident in what God has said. And it can be, it's it's analogous or, or likened to this chair right here. In order to sit in that chair, I don't have to be strong at all, do I? I don't. What has to be strong? The chair, you're right. The chair is the one that has to be strong. But before I can sit in that chair, what must I have? Faith, or get this, confidence that that chair is strong enough to support my weight. And you see, it's the same way with us walking by faith. It doesn't require us to be strong. It requires us to have confidence in a strong God. And to rely not only my entire weight in this life, but put the weight of my eternal soul on what God has said. That's what it means to be confident. It's what it means to be strong in the Lord. It's confidence. So he's saying, look, y'all got to have a little confidence in me. And have you ever thought about it like that? Man, what an insult it is to God when we don't have confidence in the holy God of heaven who has the ability to speak and stars burst upon the scene. Man, what could we not trust Him with? So here's the first command. You be strong. Look at verse number 6. Be strong. Be confident, in other words. And then the second word is right there. Here's the second command. Be courageous. Hear me. Courageous, as you know, is not the absence of fear. Did you know that? It's not the absence of fear. Even courageous folk are scared to death sometimes. I have folk ask me sometimes, you know, we'll be making jolly around here uh, on Sunday morning shaking hands. Folks say, my gosh, your hand's cold. What's the matter with you? I say, well, I'm scared to death. <laughs> well, what are you scared of? i got to preach in a little while. doesn't matter how many times you do this, does it, Brother Kent? You're always nervous. You're always scared. You always feel like, Brandon, you need another ten minutes to prepare. Huh? That's just the way it is. But sometimes you just got to push that fear down and say, it's showtime, Daddy. God is me and you. And if you don't come through, we're both going to look pretty foolish. But I'm confident you're going to come through. You see, that's, that's what courage is. Courage is not about having no fear. Hey, there's some things we ought to be scared of, huh? And I've heard folks say, when I can stand up and do this and I don't sense a little bit of holy nervousness and fear, it's when I need to quit it. Because no longer am I a preacher. I'm just a not very motivational speaker. <laughs> huh? Check out 
Number next, and I'm going to finish on time here. Here's the commands that we got to heed. Number one, be confident. Be confident. Number two, be courageous. And then in verses 7 and 8, here's the next one. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Look what he says in verse 7 and 8. Um, the very next command. Be strong, as is confidence. Be courageous. And then the next one. Be careful. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And then he says it again in verse number 9. So that you, in verse number 8, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Careful. Careful about the book. Careful about the book. I don't understand. Colin and I were talking this morning. He's involved in a seminary class and they're doing source criticism or he's having to read after a source critic. Uh, listen, source critics are not careful about God's Word at all. They're not. All they want to do is disprove it. Where all somebody who's careful wants to do is obey it because it's accepted as God's Word. He says this. Here's, here's three ways we're careful. Number one, keep it in your mind. Think on these words. Meditate on these words. Number two, keep it in your mouth. Talk about it. Talk about God's Word. And number three, keep it in your methodology. Do it. Do it biblically. That's what being biblical means. It means we do it like God's Word prescribes that it ought to be done in principle. So he says be careful. Now, let me just take that analogy that we talked about a little bit more fearful because here's what we're, we're going to do, Grace Church. Here's what every, every one of us as believers will do. You will either be careful or you will either be fearful. And there's a wide margin between them. Let me, let me explain it this way. I can't remember where it was, but I, I saw this written somewhere several years ago and it came back to me when I was looking at this passage this week about being careful. Here's the difference. Careful is cerebral. Fearful is emotional. Careful is fueled by information. Fearful is fueled by imagination. Careful calculates risk. Fearful avoids risk. Careful wants to achieve success. Fearful simply wants to avoid failure. Careful is concerned about progress. Fearful is concerned about protection. Now boy, that's a pretty good description if I have to say so myself. So here's what we need to ask ourselves. Am I careful or am I fearful? Because these right here will define us. I wish I had time to put this down somewhere. I didn't. So if you would like to see those after service, just let me know. I got them right here on the back because I knew I'd never remember them all. But that's a good way to evaluate yourself right there. Check out number next and I'm done. When God is given something, we ought to be taking something. And if we take it, we're going to take it when we heed His commands. We ought to possess it. He commands us to be confident. He commands us to be courageous. He commands us to be careful. And in fact, He commands us in verse number 9 to be conquerors. Conquerors. 
Now look here, those folk got up and they did. They went in. And I want to tell you, they whacked some Hittites, some Amorites, some Canaanites, some Perizzites. <laughs> they whacked a whole lot of Zites, didn't they? <laughs> they were conquerors to a certain extent. But they failed to take everything that God had promised. Now let me take you to the New Testament real quick. Here's what Paul says about us. He says, you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? Cain doesn't stop you. Cain doesn't stand in front of you. Cain doesn't shout you down. Cain doesn't shut you up. You are more than conquerors. God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And don't just look at it and admire it up there on the shelf of the store, but actually take possession of it because he's already paid for it on Calvary's cross. And what a shame for the blessings that he paid for in his blood for us to have and possess set on the shelf and we never incorporate them into our life. Hey, Grace, listen to me. Let's take what God's given. It'd blow our mind if we knew what God had planned for us. He's got plans for us. Let's be by faith, by being careful, walk into the land and take it for the honor and glory of the one who's worthy forever and ever and ever. Would you stand with me, please? Father in heaven, thank you for your word. It amazes us how a text that was written 4,000 years ago it's just as relevant today as if it were.